hello everyone. I'm uh, happy to be here today with James Bampfield. James, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure. I, I won't go too much into your history right now because I think that's going to figure in our conversation. Uh, but I will say that you uh, have a website which includes a podcast and some coaching and teaching that you do called uh, Spirituality for Today, I believe. And maybe, maybe you could take a minute and just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with spirituality for today. Right. Well, um, that's quite a new initiative. I mean, I've been working with people in the sort of spiritual stroke self-development world for many years. Um, and I'm part of another organization called Quigs, um, which has been around for about 20 years. Um, but more recently, I wanted to bring a more specific offering around spirituality. And my, my, my kind of mission there is to bring the spiritual voice more into the mainstream of the public discourse and, and practice. And so I started, thanks to Corona, I had time to think about all these things. <laughs> and to step back and I got so much inspiration. Um, also really as a result of coming out of your meditation retreat in Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. where I don't know, my whole life, sort of spiritual lifeline appeared to me. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen it in its sort of entirety from such a helicopter view. And then it really made me realize, wow, okay, something is ripe here to, to really sort of lean into my, my knowledge, if you like. And so spirituality for today came out of that. And that's a mixture of podcasts, daily meditations. And I think other things are going to appear. I'm interested in any channels for bringing spirituality into the mainstream. I'm working on a television series. I'm Whatever works. <laughs> Fantastic, James. That's exciting. Um, and you served up a perfect beginning uh, because I wanted to start this conversation referencing back to the retreat uh, that I had led in Sri Lanka, uh, where we met. And that was a 10-day silent meditation retreat uh, that turned out to be... Actually, I did one more after that, but uh, it was the second to the last retreat that I did before uh, COVID stopped travel and, and public gatherings. But that particular retreat in Sri Lanka was very, I know you just mentioned that it, it, it had an impact on you. It, it also had an impact on me and, and very specifically a conversation that you and I had uh, I don't know exactly, you know, these, you never know exactly how these things work, but that conversation was a real trigger. Um, and I've been thinking about it lately and that's why I wanted to speak with you. <clears throat> and essentially the themes that I think we'll be speaking around today have to do with the difference between naivety and innocence uh, and, and what it means to mature spiritually uh, without losing innocence. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the reason this harkens back to that conversation is at some point in the middle of the retreat, um, you had wanted to have a, have a conversation and we went outside, uh, which I remember perfectly, uh, <laughs> in that beautiful spot in yeah. warm sun. <clears throat> and essentially you were, you were talking about, you were probably in the midst of this opening, seeing your whole spiritual vista, but you were talking about being 17 uh, and becoming a sannyasin and, and Osho sannyasin. Uh, and, and I remember you said, you know, at that time, I was just certain that the whole world was going to change, that, that this was going to change everything. And, and you were, I think, feeling the loss of you know, and this is what I think we want to parse out a little. Part of it is a loss of naivety, which is not a bad thing. 
And part of it is, is potentially a, a jadedness that can occur on the path, especially if you encounter things that are challenging and a loss of innocence. And, and as you were speaking about it, and, and we, I think we both felt very emotional around it, I was, I was remembering my own time at the beginning of the path, joining a spiritual community, which was, you know, kind of a crazy thing to do, really. But you did it because I, I had the same sentiment. I just felt like what I was experiencing in terms of awakening was, it was so profound and, and, and just changed everything. Like you couldn't imagine that, first of all, you couldn't imagine that this wasn't going to just spread through the whole population of the planet like wildfire, because who wouldn't want this? Yeah. <laughs> who would not want this kind of change? And, and when it did, you knew the world was never going to be the same, that, that heaven on earth was possible. Uh, and then the spiritual life uh, you know, unfolds and, and whatever happens, happens. And, and yeah, that's, that's the process I wanted to speak with you about. So maybe we could start and you could, we could hear in your own words about that that time when you were 17 and, and this was all new and fresh and how you ended up with Osho and, yeah. and, and anything else you want to share with us about yeah. that. Great. Oh, I love talking about that. So yeah, you know, I was 16, actually 16 when I first heard about Osho, you know, when I, when so a teacher of mine at school who I still have contact with, he's, he's 90 something now. <laughs> showed me, gave me a book by Osho. And um, I, when I looked at the photo on the book, I burst into tears. And it was just extraordinary, like why? This Indian guy and I burst into tears and I read the book and honest to God, I think I was kind of enlightened for three days. <laughs> it's been all downhill since then, but um, it was like it just opened up this whole new world and spiritually and then I became a sannyasin and then you, you join this huge community and the Osho world, Bhagwan as he was known then, you know, it was really in full flow. I mean, around the whole world were people dressed in red. You, you could spot them wherever I went on holiday in Greece or wherever, you could always find some people in red. So you, you felt that extra sort of communality. And um, yeah, it was like this sort of, we felt we were, there was this incredible trust in Osho and love. You know, I do believe it's a love affair. Mm -hmm. with a teacher like that and at the same time this um you're feeling that you were on the the sort of cutting edge of evolution you know into new territory not just personally but but collectively and um very like you said just could can't believe that other people wouldn't see it. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was like, everything was exciting. Because, you know, there were, there were also therapy groups, there were meditations, you name it, there were communes sp sprouting up everywhere. There was a huge one in uh, England, um, very near where I was a student. So I had this weird life of, of being a student at Cambridge and at the same time, at the weekends, going to the Sanyasin Osho community. And it was, it was bizarre. Um, and the feel, you know, there was always some news from Osho. Something new was happening. And then, oh my God, he's left India. Wow, where's he going to go? Oh my God, he crops up in Oregon, USA, and and then there's this happening, and then there's this happening, and there's there was that feeling of uh, yeah, just excitement and genuine enthusiasm, you know, in its literal sense. 
it's it's very fascinating. And for people who who don't know, and there may be some, you know, Osho was a a, a teacher, an enlightened teacher who who in I guess what would would you say the seventies and eighties? Yes, primarily 70s, from the early 70s, I think very late 60s, early 70s through the 80s. Mm. Yeah. And he had a huge international following of people that, yeah. that called themselves sannyasins, uh, yeah. which basically means renunciates in the, right. in, in the Eastern tradition. So, so people who give up the world, essentially, to pursue a spiritual life. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, having... You know, you and I in common have this experience of having in, in different communities given up the world, you know, in my case, giving up, I wasn't in school, I was, I was older, I was 29, uh, but I had a career and I let that go and, you know, you just let everything go. It's, it is that, you know, the pearl of great price. Right. In those moments you realize, oh, that's what they meant in, in, in the Bible. And you know, there's a there's a there's a bond that I share with someone like you. You know, people who have had that similar experience. That's it's it's a very interesting bond because you know we we were part of different communities. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the circumstances were were different in many ways, but there is something the same about it. it, it the same. The love of the teacher in the center, which is kind of what brings the whole thing together. And, and that incredible sense of, of excitement, like suddenly life just comes alive. Uh, and, and it's because you're in touch with a different dimension, mm. like a, a dimension, you know, you, it is literally like you are living in the three-dimensional world of of time and space and suddenly you came in contact with an infinite realm of possibility of being and you were with other people who were in touch with that and you were sharing in that and the the intimacy that you that you had and and I remember feeling like I could tell people anything like there was nothing you couldn't talk about there was nothing there was no reason to hide anything because everything was fine uh, and you know, for, for a time at least, you're, you're literally feeling like you are living in, in heaven on earth. Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, in, in my case at least, <clears throat> eventually things start showing up in community and with the teacher that are stand in stark contrast to that. Right. Uh, you know, and that's where in a sense, the, the initial explosion of somewhat naive uh, enthusiasm starts rubbing up against the reality of, of the human condition. And that's a very interesting moment, you know, where, where how, does, how is one going to navigate through that, I think, is, is the, area, the, the ground that I wanted to speak with you about. So I'd love to hear any thoughts yeah. you have. But it, 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 it is fascinating. And the thing is that it's so difficult for people who haven't, people who haven't experienced it, think it's, it's all a bit ridiculous. It's a cult, it's a sect, you're brainwashed. You know, it was quite funny when Osho was, con- was accused of brainwashing. He said, yes, of course, but people's brains, they need washing, very dirty. <laughs> you know, typical Osho, <laughs> and um, but, and it is a bit irrational. That's what. That's why I say it's more like a love affair because you you surrender to it, and they use the word surrender a lot. Um, but I think what I realized later was that. I mean, naivety is a sort of um, one way of describing it. I think I would go one step further in the sense that there are 
there are simply certain projections, unconscious projections. So onto the teacher and onto the whole project. Now, what, what's happened in, I think, in the psychological world is that they try and reduce it to those projections, you know, which I think is, is, is really um, unfair and inaccurate because there was a genuine spiritual longing attraction that got fulfilled and at the same time there were various various with that level of involvement and belief and hope and trust certain unconscious um, parts of ourselves do get triggered which we're not encouraged to look at so in so in in the Osho world, they they attracted almost immediately some of the best and most famous psychotherapists in the world. You know, half the therapists from SLN just went off to India and from London. <laughs> um, so you were having all this amazing therapy, all into your past primal therapy, you name it. But the one relationship that didn't receive the same investigation and inquiry was the relationship to Osho. That was beyond bound because that's, that, that was assumed to be entirely transcendental. And I think that's, you know, the, the, the disillusionment, the, the necessary disillusion, disillusionment with the teacher and the project is the withdrawal of that projection, but it's painful. Yes, yes, very. That's, that's really well said, James, that, that, the, that initial naivety, besides being just the, you know, the kind of enthusiasm we all have for anything we start, you know, especially something like a love affair. I mean, the love affair is a great, analogy because you can see so many of the same mechanisms at mm. play and and everybody has that experience yeah. uh, but but like you're saying there's there's on the one hand some and i this is what i don't understand like i don't understand why i joined a spiritual community and i don't know if i will ever understand there was nothing in my background that that would have made that in any way a reasonable choice uh but something happened you know uh, there was an opening you know it, it really it blew my mind for months so i don't something happened i don't even, i don't know why it happened in that context but it did and i would have done anything and and the thing that there was to do was was join a community so there's that which is on the one hand this very authentic fulfillment of some kind of spiritual longing mm -hmm. and then all you know simultaneously there's all kinds of perfection uh, uh, projections of perfection yeah. that you that you attribute to the teacher and their and their elevated state which mm. which as you said it, it it's almost like that needs to happen maybe it's all part of some natural process because that's you know, you'd never surrender completely to someone if you really knew <laughs> that they were human. So somehow you need this, this projected yeah. image of perfection so that you can really, because the depth of surrender to a teacher is, it's nothing that makes any sense. You know, but, right, but, right. And the, even, the, even with yes. a therapist, you know, they say a certain degree of positive transference is is good you know and then with a guru that's that's you know you know multiply that by by a hundred that positive transference right um because it, that's what launches your you know you're jumping off the cliff right exactly and and as you said the problems arise because too often mm -hmm. 
there's no there's no mechanism for that positive transference to be sort of skillfully and gracefully dismantled, right? Where I'm sure that happens, at least in good therapy, where the the, the, exactly. the positive transference is 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 diminished and dismantled, exactly. and leading to a greater degree of autonomy. That often doesn't happen in in the context of a spiritual community or a cult, uh, because that that dependency is fostered in that case, um, and, well, and then leads to dissolution. in a sense. So there's some countertransference from from the teacher, and also let's not forget that the you know there's a whole history of guru-disciple relationship, guru-yoga, etc., which, you know, predates Freud by thousands of years. So it's simply not in the history of a lot of that whole guru-disciple setup. And for me, there's no difference whether that's you, you, you know, Osho or Papaji or Ramana Maharshi, really, you know, people like to say, oh, yes, but these ones were, these ones were the real ones. And these ones were the, do you know what, I, I, I don't really believe that. I think there was sort of enlightenment in them all. And I think they were sort of trapped in a certain sort of system um a sort of systemic relationship which definitely bordered on the codependent so, so this is very interesting james because this conversation is already going in directions i wasn't anticipating but they're interesting directions because um and i wanted to bring this up because I, I realize you and i are you know probably have some shared experience in this arena too uh, because as a teacher, myself now for some years, uh, I see that, of course, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, I see people come to me and, and project things onto me that, that I know I don't live up to. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I think I've gotten better over time at you know, I've gone through phases, you know, I've gone through phases where I, I sort of allowed more projection and I think probably in unhealthy ways enjoyed the projections. And then feeling the negative ramifications of that went in other directions where I would sort of just reject the that in, in ways that that I think was also not helpful, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that didn't allow people to, to experience that natural expansion. Um, and, and, you know, and I think I've gotten better at being graceful and grateful to mm -hmm. accept the, the sort of benefit of the doubt that people are willing to extend to me. Uh, and, and it, you know, at the same time, be, be more honest and upfront about my own shortcomings. Uh, right. Exactly. And, and I think that's, you know, because, because you can kind of, it's a very tempting situation as a, as a, as a teacher, but I think I've, ex I experienced disillusionment with my own teacher and seeing his shortcomings, you know, just become glaringly obvious. Uh, but I've experienced disillusionment with myself uh, at times, seeing my own shortcomings. Uh, and there's certain, I think, shortcomings in you that you see in that role of teacher that there's not a lot of other ways where you would see that. Uh, that's, that's very true. That's very true. And I think I've always, 
because I mean, I've had two big, Osho wasn't my only teacher. I had another Michael Barnett for a long time also, who's, who passed away recently. Um, I don't know, I reached the point where I didn't want to be on either side of the guru-disciple relationship. I mean, I think for me, and I'm not saying I haven't made some mistakes in that, I definitely have. Um, it's more like now I see that it is necessary to, to wear the teacher hat sometimes and just to transmit. But what I'm suspicious of is the identity of teacher. I see it as just one part of me and still quite a young embryonic part of me, to be honest. Um, and then I can also, but I wanna be free to put on friend hat <laughs> because do you know what I really don't like about the, the teacher, student, guru, disciple, I mean, those two are probably not identical, of course, but is that it's lonely. I don't like the loneliness because you see, in a way, when someone looks up to you like that, on the surface, it feels great, but actually they don't, they don't see you. They don't see you, they see their image of you. Again, like when we fall in love. And then it's horrible when you, you know, because at the other side of that is, is crucifixion. <laughs> you know, you just do something wrong and the, their house of cards falls apart. And that can be really lonely and, and distressing, I find. So I think it's like you said, I think one and both my teachers were just, almost incapable of showing vulnerability. And I don't believe that's because they never felt vulnerable. <laughs> Not for a second. And, right. and so I just think it's vital that I, that we, when we're in a role that we're in and we, you know, we're the kind of people that people say to us, while wow, meeting you changed my life. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. They probably don't mm -hmm. say that to their accountant. Well, right. maybe there are some amazing accountants out there, but you know what I mean? So there's, Absolutely. Quite, a, woo, there's quite a, a sort of responsibility there if people are going to say things like that. Right. So for me, it's vital that we, 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 we show our, our vulnerability and, and probably at the right time, you know, I'm not saying, you, you know, that may be at different times with different people and so on. Yes. They also need to feel safe that, you know, that you can guide them in, in a certain direction. But that's what's come to me. I don't want to be lonely and I want to be able to show my vulnerability. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. That, that the, to the extent that, that, that you've become a projection, a projected image. There's, there's not an actual connection. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's incredibly, uh, incredibly well said. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, I was just remembering back to that retreat in Sri Lanka in that conversation that you and I were having. Uh, and as part of that, you, you said a couple of things to me personally that uh, were, I don't know if I remember them entirely, but they were some of the nicest compliments I'd ever gotten. <laughs> and, you know, they represented the me of a, of a later phase of my, you know, e my teaching career has been fairly short anyway, but it was a later phase of that short. But you said, the thing I really, you said, uh, you said, I really appreciate the fact that you stand so confidently in the ring of power that you have I without know. claiming that you have the one ring that rules them all. Right. That's I forgot yeah. that. And yeah. I thought, what a beautiful way to say, because basically there's there's something mm -hmm. that I've opened up to 
in the realm of meditation, in the realm of, of direct access to, you know, a higher possibility that I feel completely confident in. But I don't feel like that's the answer to everything. And I don't feel that having that kind of access means that I know everything about everything, which exactly. uh, I think is a huge trap. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think all the trouble starts where, and I, I understand it. I mean, I, I, would, I would never say, you know, I'm enlightened or something, but I, I can imagine if, if you are in a sort of permanent state of being awake, that it's very, and you, of course you do have insights about everything and it's very tempting. And especially when you've got all these adoring people who are hanging on your every word and will remember every word you said, that it's tempting to feel that you're this sort of almost omniscient, <laughs> omniscient uh, being. And I, I've seen so many teachers fall, fall into that trap. Um, and so for, for me, I, I noticed, I don't know, I, I kind of, I don't know about you, Jeff, but it, I, I, as I get older or more mature or whatever it is, I see more and more clearly my strengths and my expertise and more and more clearly my limitations. Absolutely. I and and but totally also to being that. totally happy with those limitations. Like, of course, <laughs> why not? And glad when I see other people who, who are more competent or, or expert in the, in the areas I'm not. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, the, the only question I have, and I'd be very interested in your opinion of this, and I've never really worked it out. There's something, if we go to the sort of traditional guru model, to which I would, it sounds like our teachers, you know, pretty much belonged. Very if you much. like the sort of, I mean, let's face it, I don't think it would be entirely inappropriate to say patriarchal i think it would be quite appropriate <laughs> um, which of course these days is a very loaded word but there's definitely some truth in it um there were some positives to the patriarchal system because it basically you had to sort of give up everything that you believed in I mean, really what Osho was saying and Michael, which is very, you know, sort of politically incorrect these days, they were saying, what you know is rubbish and what I know is true. So just drop all your rubbish. And it's like, literally, I felt with Osho and Michael, it was like being in a washing machine. And there are real, there are some benefits of being in a washing machine. You tend to have very, I think that the transformative process happens very quickly, especially if you're in an energy field, a, a Buddha field, like we were living there. You know, think every day. And of course, that I think that the people who work with me will never have the benefit of that kind of sort of undermining, that kind of intensity, that kind of, if you like, healthy disorientation. And, and so, so your question is, I, I think is a question I grapple with as well, which is there, there was a benefit for me at least Right. in that washing machine experience. And I have no interest in offering that. No, I like, like that, I don't even know if it's possible, to be honest. I, I actually, I have a personal theory, which is that kind of intensity that existed, you know, in the 70s and, and into the 80s and, and even squeaked into the 90s uh, yeah. a bit. 
Yeah. And and in my case, even into the 2000s, yeah. the social media ended that. Yeah. That's not going to be a possible because if there had been YouTube when I was in a spiritual community and stuff that we were doing was on YouTube, I bet, you know, that place would have been closed down so fast. Well, ex ex exactly. I think you're right. And I think it belongs to a certain. And if you think about it, spiritual history is determined by massive charismatic figures, East and West. And, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe, or hopefully we're evolving out of that. You know, I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh who said, you know, the next Buddha is the Sangha. And I, I feel there's some truth in that. And it's not always as spectacular or dramatic. But I do feel it's a more shared... I don't know, shared, I don't want to sound too green meme but sort of shared power or, um, which may not move at the same pace. Right. But it's more sustainable. Exactly. And this is, this is the interesting question is, is there's a trade-off between acceleration and yeah. sustainability. You know, you can only accelerate for so long before the, the machine breaks down. Uh, and and uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting question. So I just wanted to, in, in, in this vein, because I've thought about this a lot, uh, because, you know, another part of the, the, the washing machine is, is you're convinced for many years in my case and in your case as well, that this is the only way. So naturally you come out with questions if you're not, if you're not doing it that way, like, am I doing anything? <laughs> um, and I guess I feel like that kind of, because I can totally relate to the intensity, you know, in, in community for 20 years, it's like, it, it feels like your life is on the line, you know, on an on a almost daily basis. Okay. And, and the smallest thing can blow up into a sort of catastrophic event, uh, both good and bad, you know, and and so there and there's a way of like you're living on on a on an edge, all the time, uh, and for me it was it turned out to have been incredibly valuable. I mean I I don't even understand how I'm I if I think about the things that I have been through during that time, it's more reasonable to think that I would be a destroyed human being. But it, it did seem to allow me to let go. And, and because the flip side is I would have on a regular basis, the kinds of experiences that, that you read about, you know, that the kinds of awakenings that, that just propel you into completely different experiences of, of reality. And obviously if those weren't happening regularly, you'd never stay, <laughs> you know, it's, it's too hard. You wouldn't just stay there for the hell of it. So exactly so so what i came up with in the end for myself is look i know a great deal of what i'm teaching is from that lens is pretty vanilla you know i mean i i talk about the extraordinariness of of what this is all about and i invite people to to it and i encourage them yeah. But I don't force it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, not, not, it's not like what the schools that you and I went through where this was like forced, this was a forced march, you know, but I, I don't think that's right. It does way too much damage to way too many people. It, I don't think the, I don't think the end justifies the means. Uh, I agree. I agree. But what I've tried to do, and, and it's interesting, our conversation, because the Sri Lanka retreat was, was, you know what I I, th I really thought about well, what was it that made that kind of pressure cooker environment so spiritually potent and rich, and and that's where I came up with the idea to do this retreat in Sri Lanka. I said, you know, ask people first of all, ask a lot. That that's a big part of it, right? We were asked everything. Ask a lot. You can come on this retreat. It's going to be amazing, but it's on the other side of the world. So mm. you have to go all the way to the other side of the world. So and it's going to be it's going to be expensive. I mean, you have to really make space in your life to right. do this. And it's going to be a 10 day 
Yeah. And then when you get there, I'm going to take your watch and your computer and anything that tells time so that you don't know what time it is and, and you've kind of lost contact with the world and you can't go down the internet and you're basically surrendered. And then I'm going to basically just tell you when it's time to wake up, when it's time to go to practice, when it's time to eat. Now, the, the beautiful thing is you can just surrender. You don't have to think or do anything. You just do what you're told, right? But the part of us that like wants to be in control, yeah, you know, and, and, and so for that retreat, it's just 12 people. I, I, I ask for an application before I interview people. I didn't, I don't know. So I can kind of get a sense of who they are and what their interests are. So I, I feel, and then, and then we can do enormous amounts of practice. I can wake everybody up at four o'clock in the morning one day yeah. and, you know, and, and I know these are going to be people who they're up for the challenge. And I feel like in that little restricted environment, I'm able to create some degree of yes. that kind of intensity. And you, you did. That's why it was so transformative for me. And now you say that, I love the way you, you express that because in a way, what you're saying is you create a similar intensity that is really part of a whole setup. It's not just dependent on you. I agree. And it's all about, so you're, you are saying you need to surrender some things. You need to surrender time. You need to surrender money. You need to surrender your mobile phone, your, your watches. And it, and it did remind me a bit, like even, it's funny you say that, like, I don't know if you remember, I was in, uh, I shared a room with that wonderful guy whose name I've forgotten now. And yes. he was just the most terrible snorer you know, and, but I decided, and it really was awful, I really slept very little. I was often getting up and I went over to the pool and, and read a book or something. And, but I thought, no, you know, this is part of it, is my snoring partner. And he was such a sweet guy. I just couldn't bear to, you know, I didn't want to make him feel bad. And I thought, no, that's, that's, and that reminded me a bit of the old days, you know, like this, this is the Michael Barnett who, you know, if, he, if he's got people meditating or in silence, uh, you know, 150 people in the group room, if, if a person coughs, you know, he just sends them out. Bang, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and um, so it brought back some of that I guess discipline stroke surrender that invites the intensity, but without this focus on, on the teacher, I just thought you did it beautifully. I never felt even tempted to sort of project onto you or, or whatever. And, and I think one of the biggest symbols was that, you know, cause by asking to talk to you in the break, I, I was kind of breaking the rules because we, we weren't meant to talk, but just the fact that you said yes and that you were so present and so listening and involved and you even sort of integrated it in, into your teaching, I, you know, that felt, oh my God, this is how it should be. Mm. You know, and then I have no problem whatsoever bowing to your mastery in the meditation room and in all that you've longed. It's lovely to bow to somebody. But you know, to be honest, I, I can do that with a with a tennis player too. Of course. Right. You you can paint her. Um, so it, it's great, but it didn't, I don't know, then it doesn't but it doesn't mean you have to sort of become my daddy kind of thing. You know? Exactly. And, you know, part of that is, is also that, that you are, you know, a mature yeah. spiritual individual. So, you know, I, and I've, I believe this, I had this very interesting moment about, I don't know, eight years ago, I went to visit a different teacher um, mm. 
And I felt very compelled to see them. And they're, they really are in the traditional guru thing, you know, um, which I'm not totally into, but I found myself there and I thought, maybe I'm supposed to surrender again. <laughs> and I, I thought, wouldn't that be weird, you know? And, uh, and, but I, I was there with them and they were being very generous and very beautiful. And I, I really just opened to the possibility that it was going to happen again, that I was going to Great. let go of everything and, and become part of this community. And, wow. and, and I really let opened and I, I heard like a voice that said, no, you can't do that twice. Right. And it made so much sense. It, it, I, I thought it's true. I can't, I, I couldn't do it again in the same way. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely couldn't. It, it just, it's it's something you do once, and and I think in the role that I play, you know, teaching and, and like you, you know, I don't I don't really want to be on either side of that pole, uh, but I do want to share what I have to share, and I want to be able I want to do it with authority because I think that's important. Uh, but yeah, I just I feel like uh, you know everything you're saying is so is so. It strikes me as, as very beautiful. Right. Well, no, I think we're on the same page. And I think for me, probably a bit more than you, I, you know, because I'm more, my history is also more as a facilitator and coach, you know, than sort of spiritual teacher. That's, that's a much more recent thing. And I, I still would hesitate to call myself that. Um, I think because of that, reluctance to be on either side of that fence I think I have been a bit slow stepping into my authority and so I get that feedback quite a bit come on you need to step into that more you know get out there show up and so that's a lot what this spirituality for today and that's really what came out of your out of the retreat with you followed almost immediately by Corona, it was, so I suddenly had three months off, first time for years. And so it all, it all kind of came together. That's right. You did mention that to me in that conversation that, that you admired my willingness to be authoritative in the domain that I felt I had authority in, uh, right. and that you felt inspired by that. And, and, you know, I also appreciated that, that, that mm. um, and I loved that you were able, see this, is, I, I didn't know you before that retreat, but we did have a phone interview conversation. Yeah. And when I heard your background, I thought, okay, yeah, this, this perfectly makes sense. Um, but having someone like you on a retreat like that mm. is perfect because you're able to hold everything with yeah. a lot of space and a, and a big contact, which, which allows me to show up in the role that I'm taking in the right. context of the retreat. And I don't have to worry right. about, about how you're gonna take things. So I can be more free and I just find that really right. valuable. Exactly, and that's, so that's a beautiful dance. And I think, I think Jeff, that's, you see, that's the thing I mean, Michael Barnett was beginning to see that towards the end of his life. The other big thing that the traditional guru seems reluctant to admit, and I'm sure there are examples where this is not true, is, you know, I, I can't sing my song without you people to listen. If I don't have people listening, I don't, I won't be able to sing my song, you know, Absolutely. and there's not enough recognition. So I know that Osho and Michael could not have reached the depths that they did without the field and the people and all that surrendering energy. That is not, was never, so they gave the impression, it's a bit what I call the traditional macho enlightenment, which is basically, 
I am in a sort of state of perfection and I will just take that wherever I go, regardless of context. <laughs> but I just don't believe that. Right. And, and when you get close to a teacher like, like I did and you did, you see it's definitely not true. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. But I often think, you know, like, for instance, using that example in Sri Lanka, I know there were moments during that retreat where, you know, really genius comes out of my mouth. Exactly. You know, it, just, it just comes out. I'm aware that it's coming out. I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm aware it's coming out. And I'm, I'm very aware that the whole thing is a dance and it's very relational. And if I was sitting at home in my living room, that genius wouldn't come out. Right. I can't just stare at the wall and, and speak it. I, I see it in, in, in the people there. It's almost like it's, they're pulling it out uh, more than I'm, I'm speaking it. So this is why, you know, for, for a while I was doing long retreats every few months because for me, that's, you mentioned earlier, you know, there's the, the teachers who might have, I'm blessed you may be blessed similarly. I'm blessed to not have constant contact with the divine. You know, I mean, I, I have constant faith. I, I, my faith never wavers. Yeah. But, but when I'm on a retreat like that for 10 days with people who are so earnest, mm. I mean, I'm able to experience exactly. profundity of awakening that I, I don't have access to roaming around the streets of Philadelphia. Exactly, and that's wonderfully um, humbling and exhilarating at the same time, because it means that we're, we're being touched by the mystery, the grace, and, and then we can say, oh my God, that was genius, right. mainly because it, it, we, we can't really take credit for it. <laughs> you know, okay, we have done a lot of work, but it's still, there's something of, of grace about it. Absolutely. In, in that moment, it's, it's just grace. And, and you know, I think, I think this is part of what, what's important to, to hold in mind, that we did the work for this. Yeah. We did the work so that we could be, you know, we didn't know what, was what it was going to look like, but we wanted to be a vehicle for her divinity you know that was the whole point of doing this and it can show up in all kinds of ways teaching a retreat is one but it's certainly not the only one um but that's why we did it we didn't we didn't do it to become special we did it to be humble enough to serve a, a purpose bigger than ourselves and i think that's where it's important and 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 what i loved about about you and about our meeting on that retreat was I felt like, I felt innocence talking to you that day. I, I felt a return of that, that hmm. I felt the innocence that's never left me, but that I don't always have a chance right. to share with someone, just, oh. which is just the kind of wide-eyed, wow, isn't this amazing, <laughs> like, you know? And, and that's, that's what I feel it's, it so often gets lost in the, in, the, in the messy mix of spirituality that just that like, wow, this is amazing, gets lost. Right, well, I think for me, what I realized when you asked to talk about this is that how can we sort of reclaim some of the, I mean, I would almost use the word fervor, <laughs> which is a dangerous word these days, but from, from a mature place, a sort of second order fervor, you know, almost, almost evangelical in its, in its hope, but without all the unconscious um, dysfunction and neurosis that can go with that, and at the one the one ring and and da 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 da. da. Exactly, you're you're absolutely right. It, it, it's, 
I love the, the you know, it's a second order fervor. Like, how can we retain the, the, the innocence, the sense that everything can change, the, the complete faith mm. in the extraordinary possibility of, of awakening without the weird bits, <laughs> without all the strange stuff that, that tends to come along with it. Because, you know, we did that already. So we don't need to do that again. Um, exactly. So what I want to do, James, is I would like to do another conversation with you. Okay, great. Where we pick up the ball on that particular piece, which is this, this second order fervor. Like how do we, what does it mean for those of us you know, who are more, you know, who are what I would call mature spiritual individuals who've, who, who've been exploring and not necessarily in a, you know, cult like you and I did. I mean, I don't, I don't, I always tell people, I don't really recommend that, you know, it may have been your destiny and in, in, in which case you probably already did it, but if not, it's probably a good thing to avoid. Uh, and, but, but whatever people's path is, what is a mature, uh, a, a mature fervor, a mature zealous Z zeal? It's a zeal. great word. You know, like like what is that? What is that based on? What does that look like? Because that's what I that's what I want to generate in Fantastic. in You know, in I want I want a mature zeal. Yeah, a mature zealot. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I know. No, I agree, and and I think. Well, one last thing that, you know, I, I finally got around to it. I don't know if you've watched it, but the Netflix series about Osho, have you seen it? I saw the first one and, you know, it was a little too close to home, so I stopped Ooh. watching it. I'll tell you, that's intense. If you want to see <laughs> the beauty and the horror, <laughs> I mean, of course, I had no idea of most of this stuff, but it really shows where it can go wrong. And, but, and yet I saw it and I even showed my, my wife and 18 year old son. I said, you have to see when we were in Oregon and there were 17,000 people there and we were all hugging and laughing and Osho's driving by in his Rolls Royce. And, and they were like, my wife and son were like, whoa, what the hell is that? And I tell you, when you were there, you know, he used to have the thing called the drive-by so that's a line of 17,000 people. And he would drive his Rolls Royce incredibly close to the people within inches. And his gaze would not leave. He looked at every single person in the eyes. And at the same time, he's driving this car. God knows how he did it, but it was also so beautiful. And when he looked in your eyes, you just felt blessed. Okay, there's probably some of my projection into that, but it certainly can't be reduced to that. But at the yeah. same time, all this shit was happening in the background, you know, which is unspeakable. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I guess this is, you know, this is what re this really was opening up for me on that retreat, yeah. uh, you know, and the retreat as a whole, but, but the tr there was a trigger in our conversation. There's this, this second order zeal, you know, this mature zealot quality. That, because I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose it in myself. I don't feel like I have lost it, but I can see how I hide it uh, right. sometimes. I, I'm, I'm afraid to be too public with, with how big a solution I feel like awakening is to everything, you know, <laughs> because well, I don't want to sound naive, but it is how I feel. But I think also, Jeff, the reason why we hesitate to is that, you know, the, the early part, certainly of Osho and Michael were, you know, the whole sort of postmodern re revolution was only just happening and only really in academia. And that since then that has spread and quite correctly, it's, it has focused on, you know, basically power and oppression to which gurus and disciples are very vulnerable. And so a whole, that brought a whole wave of 
cynicism really well it's it's that it, there's a there's a healthy skeptical core but it so easily becomes cynicism and if you're not cynical and you're genuinely hopeful i don't know it it's pretty uncomfortable these days it is and that's why i loved talking to you because i felt like oh he's not cynical and generally hopeful and and so am i and i can relax yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's okay to to feel this thrilled about the possibility of 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 reality. Yeah, and 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 sing hallelujah. Exactly. <laughs> so this is fantastic. I look forward to to yes. to continuing the conversation. Uh, so thank you so much, James. You uh, too. Um, it's been really great. My God, an hour goes quickly. Thank you, sir. And uh, wow, I love that. I feel so good. I'm going to be exploding for the rest of the day now. Right. You feel zealous. <laughs> I feel totally zealous. <laughs> <laughs>